You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Matthew Rushing and with me as she is every single week. Oh wait. Oh, I'm not supposed to give that away. It's secret agent. We'll just call you six. How about that? Yes. And you're four? Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Four. Four sounds good. It sounds oh, like a that good means number. I was sent to kill you. Oh. <gasps> <gasps> Um, well, this just got real awkward. So, um, well, we this week are going to be diving into because there's not a lot at the theater these days. Uh, So we're going to be diving into a new film on Netflix from the Russo brothers starring none other than Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, along with Anna DeArmas, Jessica Wenwick uh, and Billy Bob Thornton. So uh, Mm -hmm. lots of stars in this film and. We're excited to talk about that tonight, but before we do that, before we dive into our conversation, would love it uh, if you would subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening, just hit the subscribe button. Uh, We'd also love to interact with you, so you could do that over uh, on Twitter, at The 602 Club. You can also do that on Instagram, at The 602 Club TFM. You can also find us on Facebook with the entire network, at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Of course, we've got Trek.FM, the website, where you can see all of the different shows that we are doing. And, of course, uh, you can help out the network by going to Patreon at Patreon.com slash TrekFM and making sure that we can continue to bring you all of the episodes we do here on the network each and every week. We could definitely use your support, so go over to Patreon.com slash TrekFM and become part of our team today. So, Christy, this is one of those uh, films that not only does it start off because it's a novel, so it's an adaptation, uh, but it's also a movie that kind of ends up in development hell for quite a while. And they had originally announced that they were going to do this in uh, 2011, and you were going to have Brad Pitt and Charlize Theron in gender-swapped roles, and unfortunately... Nothing came of that. And so with that as a thought, though, having seen the movie now, I'm interested in whether or not you would have liked that version. Well, it sounded like they were saying it was originally going to be Brad Pitt to star in the role Ryan Gosling now has. And then at a later time, they decided that the same role would be given to Charlize Theron instead. Ah, yes, you're correct. I was mistaken. Yeah. Okay. I was like making sure of, did I think of this wrong? Um, But yeah, I I think the thing is, I do think obviously it would work with Brad Pitt. It would just have a different feel than what we got because although he can do an action film, I mean, he's actually in that new action film Bullet Train bullet train well Coming of course out, he was yeah. in mr and mrs smith so mm-hmm. um but charlie's there and the thing is there's been other movies like this already with her 
as the lead role in a CIA type movie. Oh, right. She was uh, in Atomic Blonde uh, as well like that. So, yeah. So that that. Yep. I, I can see, you know, that being something. Although, you know, that doesn't take place until 2017. So this would have preceded that. So I guess yeah. it might have. But I, I get what you're saying in the sense that like it, it feels like. Yeah, something that um, I don't know, we've kind of seen before. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like it just wouldn't have worked as well as um, some of the characters or actors did in this version. Having either of them in this Mm -hmm. kind of movie. You know, like I could definitely see, especially at that point, you know, Brad Pitt doing this role, uh, I think. In many ways, that makes this a more prestige film by just mm-hmm. putting his name in it, especially at that time period as well. Um, you know, I, I, the idea of doing Charlize Theron in it uh, is also an interesting idea. Um, I, I don't think, you know, it doesn't really feel like this role necessarily has to be a guy or a girl. You know, you, you, can, you can yeah switch it up, you know, so... I could totally see that happening. Um, but yeah, I, I think what we got felt like it was probably pretty accurate towards the material. I'd be really interested in, in seeing how close this is actually to the book it's based off of. Um, right. I honestly didn't know it was a novel beforehand. So, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I used to be a person who I would always read the book beforehand, but you know, I don't always get a chance to do that, especially if I don't know that's the case. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's always interesting to kind of look at the development of a movie and where they go. And I I do wonder what made the Russo brothers decide that this was going to be a project of theirs, um, and what made them decide. Uh, that, you know, of course, that they would go with Ryan Gosling. I mean, it makes sense that they would go to Chris Evans. They they know exactly who Chris Evans is as an actor. Um, and so, um, but yeah, it, it that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, like, because they worked on, on Captain America, um, Avengers, Endgame, and Infinity War, the Russo brothers definitely would have picked Chris Evans probably for something that they did next. Um, so that does make sense. Um, I, I wonder if part of the reason that they went with Ryan Gosling is because he, I think around that time had done drive, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, this is definitely something to which I think you're right. Uh, you know, they, they absolutely know Chris Evans. Um, and you know, especially to, um, Coming off of Endgame in 2019, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, a very uh, close to that. Obviously, it's just coming out this year. So, um, and I think Ryan Gosling is just another uh, known quantity in Hollywood at that point. So they they know exactly what they're going to, to be able to get from him as well. And so it feels like they're just making good choices with actors that they're very familiar with that we are familiar mm-hmm. with in Hollywood and who have, you know, um, good names to attach to something. And so, um, yeah. And 
what's interesting to me too is that their choices of of like films to either produce or then direct after you they do Endgame are are really interesting to me because um, they did Twenty One Bridges uh, that movie and they produced that the one that had Chadwick Boseman in it um, mm. and uh, they produced Extraction the Chris Hemsworth film that we got on uh, Netflix and of course they're doing Extraction two as production our producers and so yeah just really really interesting to me to see. Um, you know, the, the, the things that they have been choosing and what's most interesting to me is this, like this movie really fits within their, like, I would say Captain America winter soldier wheelhouse because so much of this movie kind of feels like it fits within that genre that they created in that film. Right. With having, um, somebody who is struggling between, um, sort of like how Bucky was of trying to work in this way mm-hmm. where they're having to be two different people. They yes. feel like, you know, Ryan Gosling in, in the role of six has morals because obviously later we find out why he ended up being in prison was a noble cause. Um, but that, you know, obviously the law sees murder as murder, no matter how it's, why it's done. Um, mm-hmm. And yet he is then having to kill people for a living. Where, you know, obviously he did what he had to with the situation of protecting his brother by killing his father that was abusive. But it's not like he then wanted to get into this line of work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what you see with Bucky as well with being um you know introduced in winter soldier he's doesn't really have a choice mm-hmm. yeah i mean that to me is 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 one of the things that really kind of connects this movie with their previous work is 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 having these characters that kind of uh either feel out of options or, you know they don't have a choice especially mm-hmm. like bucky um and you know What's interesting about this movie is how, you know, they pick these people that are in prison, kind of much like the Suicide Squad. Or Dollhouse. Exactly, that kind of thing. And they give them lives um, again, but they're lives to which they have to unquestionably follow orders to kill, quote unquote, bad guys for the CIA and don't ask questions. Um, and they're ghosts, they're the gray men, um, you know, and they, um, you, you end up with, you know, some like Lloyd who just kind of revel in their missions and the destruction they can cause. And then you have others who, you know, are looking to execute their job with precision. And to me, that was uh, this is kind of an interesting idea to play with for sure. And this is one of the things where I'd be really interested what the source material is like if it's if it is like this at all. But the idea of basically you're creating a suicide squad, you're you're creating a a group of people who you have plausible deniability. They don't exist and you send them to do these things that you can't, quote unquote, officially do 
Um, and they don't have a choice really in the matter. I mean, if they unless they wanted to stay in prison, I guess that's really the only choice that they're offered. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. do this or you can stay in prison. Right. Or, I mean, the other worst case scenario, if you later decide to defect from your mission, you die. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> there is no retirement plan, as they allude to multiple times. It's like, no, this is permanent. <laughs> um, and so I do find that really interesting. It's, you know, I, I mean, even though we've seen this kind of um, storyline before in all these other properties that we mentioned it's still different this time because they're really showing that the juxtaposition of the two of them lloyd versus six and and i like that they even show how little each person actually means to the agency by giving them Mm -hmm. numbers instead of names yeah yeah i did i did think it was funny when he says 007 was taken (laughs) yes yes well and i mean you know, obviously, code names make sense, especially yeah. uh, when you're, you, you know, uh, when these people are officially off the books in, in the sense mm-hmm. that they don't exist. So that makes complete sense. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm with you. It is one of those things where not only are these people who nobody cares about, really, or seemingly nobody cares about. Uh, mm-hmm. But the agency definitely doesn't because they are disposable. You know, if they're mm-hmm. caught, they're caught. If they die, they die, you know, and we basically can go find more, uh, you know. And so um, but I mean, I think one of the things that's that is interesting about the movie to me is the way in which, you know, you have a character like six who has a conscience like you know he had an abusive father who is you know trying to make quote unquote and i doing that a lot but it's like a man out of his sons and you know doing it in a completely ridiculously abusive way that mm-hmm. is disgusting and you know he snaps and he kills his father to protect his other brother and everything and he re- gets recruited by Fitzroy. Um, and really, he becomes kind of the conscience of the movie, which is very interesting, obviously, for, you know, a marksman, a trained killer uh, who who goes to take people out. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I really enjoyed him being a person who... In in many ways, he takes pride in his work in the sense that he does it without a lot of collateral damage. That's his main, uh, you know, he, he does it with precision. Mm-hmm. And um, he he likes to believe that he's doing it for the greater good. And when all of that kind of comes crashing down, I, I, I mean, I, I always love this type of story. You know, so I thought that that was a really nice part of the film and they did it actually pretty well. Right. Like he's operating off the assumption that the information he's given is that these are without question bad people Mm -hmm. and he's helping the world by getting rid of them. It's like because you're given these mandatory orders, though, then they don't question the orders that they're given at all. I'm thinking of Clone Wars right. now. Good soldiers follow orders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, but I mean, it's it's similar to that, right? You know, I yeah. mean, that's kind of how they're treated 
is is in the way in which you know not not all people but some people in the republic treated clones as being disposable yeah but yeah i mean then with the situation with four obviously he is trying to ignore all of the warning signs that this is not actually the kind of assignment that he thought he was on and finally allows four to finish talking and realizes that he's made a mistake Mm -hmm. and that he killed someone that, you know, wasn't necessarily innocent, but wasn't trying to end the world either. Right. I mean, and I think this is probably where two, uh, some of the things come in where there's there's a lot of cliche in this movie in the sense of like, oh, the guy at the top who's giving the orders is dirty. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so we got to kind of take him down. Um, and so you there's know, a guy that's part of the crew that enjoys torture. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, you're you're you've got these you know, high level people in the, in the CIA are using it for their own personal gain. Okay. Um, you know, so I think that part's where a lot of, uh, I, I haven't really paid attention to, cause I, I try not to listen to or, or read any thoughts about the movie before we podcast about it. But mm-hmm. because we didn't do it right when the movie came out, it's been a hard for me to not just see some, passive tweets go by or whatever and yeah i I would i would agree in the sense that i think this movie one of its major faults is is that a lot of it doesn't feel like it's working hard to overcome a lot of the cliches that it is using um Mm -hmm. it kind of uses them and um it doesn't really mask them in any way or try to then do something that will surprise you. I mean, I would say that if there's any main fault in this movie is that there are absolutely no surprises because everything is, is cookie cutter and very like, if you've seen this before, you've, you've seen this before. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I think that obviously immediately we were both referring to things that we feel it's derivative from, like Suicide Squad, Dollhouse. I even was just thinking of the Bourne movies or yes, the Bourne uh, stories. percent Yep. Because the Bourne stories were mm-hmm. books first. Um, so I would be curious to see if the Bourne books came out before this book. Um, now, yeah, this this book is a book uh, because I, I did want to look it up just to see it. It came out the 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 first one, the Gray Man, came out uh, in uh, at least in paperback in two thousand nine. So, yes, this is this is much older than the the original Robert Ludlum books uh, that the Bourne series is based off of. Uh, and so, um, but one of the things I did read um, was that. Uh, the New York Times said that this was born for the new millennium. So uh, mm. this is absolutely in that same vein and genre for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that is actually a pretty interesting thing to see. And that's where it's like, yeah, we've had this before we've done this type of story before. And it's, it's um, you would hope for, 
something different. And, you know, yeah. I would say that the Russo brothers gave us a good reworking of an old genre and like a you know uh a a 70s spy thriller type of film with uh the winter soldier so i know that Mm -hmm. they have that in them but i didn't really feel like this movie really took that on took on the cliches Mm -hmm. um and and tried to make something different out of it which is a little bit frustrating so and i'll tell you the reason that i think that is is to two things um one i wonder if part of the problem is that coming into this apparently um the um head of netflix original films was excited to start a franchise for this before they even made this movie yeah because i think we've talked about more yeah apparently there's gonna be a gray man universe Mm, and I'm like, okay. of yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. then also there were apparently multiple other contributing writers in this script than just the Russo brothers. Mm, yeah. It was like yep. six people. So That's I'm like, a lot of people. Yeah. I, and some of them, like their work is just not as good. <laughs> their, their other yeah. attribute work. Um, so that that that's my reasoning yep. that I think maybe yeah. the storyline wasn't as original as it could have been mm-hmm. and um maybe felt like there were some areas where the dialogue could have been better. No, I I gr- agree with you Christy. I, I do think that that does clearly come up uh in the film when it comes to the the cliched nature is that some of the dialogue itself isn't quite what would you would want necessarily. Um, and now and I do think that that's one of the places where this movie is helped, as we talked about kind of a little bit, in their casting. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, you know, when you put Ryan Gosling in this role, he's a kinetic person like you are drawn to what he's doing on screen Uh, and i think he does it really really well in this role because he's able to do kind of controlled he's able to do that very controlled uh calculating character who doesn't seem to have a lot of emotion yet has all of this kind of bubbling under the surface and you're just able to pick that up. And I think he just does it really, really well. I'm actually pretty impressed with his ability to do that. And so uh, I thought that he was a great choice to be six in this movie. And uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm personally a fan, you know, of course he he looks great. So that helps. Um, But two, he just, he also kind of plays the character who can't believe the situation that he's in and he's surviving it pretty well too. Um, Mm -hmm. And that plays into this uh, part as well. So yeah, I mean, if there's anything about this movie that I, I, I think I really enjoy, it's, 
his performance um, and making me have any sort of like care for this character to which, you know, is something that you've seen before. I'm definitely with you. He is that kind of person that can really portray a lot of nuance with just his expressions. And I do think that because the year that this movie was announced being 2011, that um, same year he did drive. um, Mm -hmm. I think that influenced him then being chosen for this movie because he, he clearly showed from that point on that he could do a more serious role and he wouldn't just be known for the notebook anymore, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think here you're right. He really does portray someone who is torn trying to figure out what to do and yet being um, driven completely toward always being the person he knows he is. You know, he he wants to follow orders, but he's realizing more and more that he can't because he really is a good person. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, it, it made it so interesting that you could believe that Fitzroy would pick this person out to do the job that he's asking him to do because he knew he could trust him. He knew that he was, like you said, actually a good person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the reason that he did what he did with his father was had a had good reasons behind it. He's trying to save his brother mm-hmm. and himself. Um, and so I, I think he's, yeah, he's just really great in this. And, and I think on the other side, you know, one of the interesting things to me about Chris Evans is that this character and, 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 and forgive me for saying it this way, because they, you know, you, I know you liked, uh, uh, the Peacemaker, and when they were talking about that show, they mm-hmm. promo the show is that it was the douchebag Captain America, and that is legitimately <laughs> who Chris Evans plays in this movie. Yeah, um, is is the Captain America that's completely amoral, and it's kind of terrifying. He does it really, really well. Um, he actually kind of plays this ca- this this character to a lesser extent in um, Knives Out. Mm. as well and so uh but yeah i mean he's he's great in this role i mean he's just chewing up scenery and it's it's enjoyable to watch he's he's charismatic on screen so i think this was another place where it's a it's a good choice uh as an actor because he's he's just somebody that people know and like and but he also pulls it off yeah he's the one that you cast in this role to at least somewhat than subvert expectations because he's always been Captain America or, you know, the romantic interest in other films he's done. Usually, you know, this, this is not his general type of role. And so then you cast someone like him in this kind of character, it's a whole different feeling of creepiness because he comes across so um, kind initially from the way that you see him, with his expressions and um, looking well coiffed and nicely dressed and then says the most jarring things <laughs> and yes. is super excited at the fact of torturing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you in general, I can't watch torture in movies 
because it feels too real to me. I don't know why that in mm-hmm. particular bothers me more than most things, but the scene with him and Billy Bob Thornton with his hand was just destroying me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, very well done. And yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I mean, it's just kind of terrifying uh, to to watch. And I think part of that comes down to the fact that, yeah, he, he's a character who's just really enjoying it. And that's, uh, there's something Icky. about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I thought, you know, he's he's a great choice. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, we, you know, we have another character here played by Anna DeArmas. And, of course, you know, she was in No Time to Die. And so we've all mm-hmm. seen her in that type of role. Uh, I mentioned Knives Out. She's in that. You know, she was also in Blade Runner uh, 2049. She's really become somebody who's been in more and more things. I always enjoy her in, in a movie. Now, I will say here, though... I was just slightly disappointed because I I didn't feel like for her character, she just had quite enough. It's not like she didn't have anything to do, mm-hmm. but I felt like uh, the, the, the motivation for the character and like, you know, all of that just didn't feel as fleshed out as I would have liked, I guess is the way I would put it. Like it, it, she just felt kind of slightly cardboardish as a character, which is really sad because I love her in things. I think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I'm wondering if maybe you feel that way, and I did too, because she didn't have enough of a turn as a character for her actions to make sense. Like you would feel like from her deciding to save his life initially and then subsequently a few times, you know, in the car chase and things like that, that then in the end she would decide to quit her career as well and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe partner up with him long term or something. And she ends up making a deal with Carmichael. And I mean, they add in the little line of her saying, if, but if anything happens to the girl, the deal is off. Mm-hmm. But you're like, but you still made a deal with him. And it feels like you're going back now on what you started when you saved Six's life. Hmm. Yeah, um, I I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, it It did feel like it was not quite as as well done as you would have hoped. Uh, and, um, and she is a great actress. She is. And, and I think that's the thing is that I, I really just wanted her to, to be able to have more. And what's, what's where I could see that going is that her and six end up on a team together down the road to take down somebody like Carmichael. And, Mm -hmm. You know, so you got Carmichael in the movie and you've got um, Suzanne played by Jessica Henwick. And, you know, they're both uh, characters that are the the ones in the CIA who are basically jockeying per, for position. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think they're both good in their roles. You know, the, I don't feel like there's a ton to talk about there with them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I could see her that being something where they're playing the long game with her. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, uh, 
this is sort of a situation where Anna de Armas does what she can with what she's given. Um, but that definitely after seeing her in No Time to Die, for example, I was really excited to see her in more things, mm-hmm. especially in like a spy kind of movie. Um, yeah. And I didn't know she was in this until she appeared on screen. So that was a nice surprise. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I I guess. Um, what did you think of Julia Butters, who plays Claire? who kind of becomes this, of course, very important character to the story because she is the, um, she's the linchpin for Six choosing what he does, which is that he's mm-hmm. going to, you know, work to protect this this little girl. Um, and so what did you, what did you think of that? I thought she um, was one of the biggest was one of the best assets of this movie. I think that her character was much more well fleshed out. Um, I really liked the flashbacks of her being taken care of for a little while by six. um, So that then he has a reason to want Mm -hmm. to protect her more later. Um, And I thought that she as an actress really got across well, how much she had become attached to both him and her uncle. Um, yeah. And then makes you feel the emotion of being torn apart from both of them later mm-hmm. in the movie. So, yeah, I mean, Julia Butters did a great job. Um, and I think that she should definitely get cast in other things. Yeah, I really enjoyed her, uh, in all honesty. Uh, I, I loved her relationship with six you know obviously it it humanizes him and i think she was just a really good actress and um, it made watching her enjoyable uh in the film which was which was really nice um and i i think she is a character to now that's now a part of this and so you know if they are going to be doing you know a universe. Okay. Well, uh, then, then she's somebody that I'm actually interested in seeing in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and you know, I, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought Billy Bob Thornton was also really well cast, uh, as you know, her uncle, because, you know, he, he has the ability to immediately have a type of gravitas on screen, and, you know, he, he also has that kind of like soft side to him as well. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. he was a great choice uh, to to play um, her uncle. And, and, you know, that in the end, of course, he makes the ultimate sacrifice so that that she can uh, live. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I really enjoyed uh, him in the movie. And in some ways, you know, with the knowledge that you know, they want to do more of these. Um, a part of me is just a little bit like, oh, crud, I, I kind of wish he was still around because I liked his character. I liked his relationship with um, Six and, of course, his niece. And, you know, so it's kind of sad that uh, he will not be around in the future. So, yeah. Yeah, I love his relationship with Six as, as well. Um and especially the way that the two of them had conversations where 
even though they were being recorded or had to play it on speakerphone, they understood what each other was saying, even though they were kind of disguising what they Mm -hmm. were talking about. Yeah. You know, very subtle. So that was cool. Yeah, that was that was really nice. So did want to add one other person that we didn't mention. Um, Although I feel like they maybe had too many characters for this movie and it could have been a little more focused on a few characters. Um, I have to give a shout out to Alfre Woodard, who played Margaret Cahill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's an incredible actress and mm-hmm. then yeah. really got to have a heroic death as well. And um, I loved that scene, especially where six and she are sitting at the table and she says, if you give me any sort of sympathy, I'm going to kill you. And he yeah. puts his hand on hers <laughs> and she smacks it. <laughs> She's she's just good in everything. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's a she really is just a phenomenal actress. And um, so I I'm right there with you. I definitely appreciated uh, her being in the role. And again, I think that what what makes her great is that she is somebody who has gravitas. And so you just mm-hmm. like you feel who she's supposed to be, who she is to these characters and all of that immediately. And it's, uh, it's, it is really, really well done. So I a hundred percent agree, uh, with you on that. Um, you know, we, we did mention how this is a movie to which, you know, it is an action film. Um, and it's, it's so much about, uh, the action and there's a lot of action set pieces in this movie. And, what did you end up thinking? How did they work for you? Did you know? Did you feel like they brought anything you know new to the table? So I thought that the trolley—I guess you want to call it streetcar, streetcar mm-hmm. um, chase—was probably the best one of all the action scenes. Um, and then second, I would say is maybe in the. Um, in Croatia at the end with the giant house and um, the maze was very cool. Um, The weak point to me was the plane scene because I think they're just trying to do too much all at once. And the way that it was either filmed or edited or something, oftentimes you couldn't tell what part of the plane you were looking at. It was just a lot. (laughs) And so I left that scene kind of feeling more confused about how anyone got Mm -hmm. out of that and and then landed. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think for the most part, you know, the action looks good, competent. You know, uh, these are directors who who know what they are doing with these these stories. So um, I honestly, you know, I don't I don't have any issues with anything on that front. Um, I think one of the things that I didn't love, I didn't really love the camera movements. A lot of times there were too many, just like massive sweeping camera movements trying to do something quote unquote cool. It felt like, Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of annoyed me. Um, it's like, uh, you're, you're trying too hard to be cool. And I wouldn't say it's working. Um, so, you know, simmer down nitro, uh, and (laughs) I I think, you know, the one that I felt like was the best was the one in Croatia. Um, it was, uh, I thought a really fun scene, a really good scene. I think they did a great job with it. Uh, so I appreciated that. 
Um, and I, I got to say, too, you know, we, we watched uh, Red Notice, which was also a big action uh, spectacular thing on mm-hmm. Netflix. And this movie is just so much better uh, and, and really every single way than that movie um, when it comes to what it looks like. And a big portion of that is because this movie is not filmed on a soundstage. This movie is filmed on location. Uh, and you can tell. And mm-hmm. it's really it's really good that they did that. Uh, because this movie looks all the better for it. And, you know, if this had been one of those movies like Red Notice where they had filmed a lot of green screen and then put them like they're supposed to be in a place but they're not really there... Mm-hmm. That would have just killed this movie completely. Um, and so, yeah, I think this movie looks good. Um, and it's, you know, because of that, it helps the film. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you know. Uh, and so, yeah. Um, was there anything else that, like, I'm just trying to think. Was there anything else about the movie that either stood out to you in a good way or a bad way? The other thing that I noticed was that the time frame that this was actually filmed in was only like six months. It was like March to August of 2021. Um, so I wonder if it could have done better with having a little more time. Maybe it was too rushed in addition to having too many cooks in the kitchen with writing the story. Um, some things could have been tweaked and been even better. But I do definitely agree with you that um, practical effects sometimes can really make a difference um, or, you know, filming on location instead of a green screen to make it feel more real and more interesting. And you can tell without a doubt, you know, when they're in Prague, for example, and the architecture and there being, you know, the square and things like that, Um, even down to the style of the police cars. Um, and I like that they also get across in the dialogue for those scenes that, um, it's very common for people, especially that live around Europe to just catch a train over to Prague or something, you know, it wouldn't be as much of a big deal as like, you know, me trying to catch a train to Texas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I thought that that was a good thing to add um, because that's something that I know from a lot of friends that live over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this movie kind of hops all over the place and, you know, it, it definitely is is in the vein of, you know, movies that it's trying to emulate, whether it being a Bourne movie or just a, kind of like a James Bond type film where you're mm-hmm. in a lot of different locations and, and you are trying to use locations which, you know, people don't necessarily always get to go to. Uh, and so I, I think all of that was was really um, smart on their part in that. Um, but I, I, I can see what you're talking about and the idea of, like, if you want to create a movie that gives you more than just what people have mostly seen before, I think... You know, you have to find a way to make this stand apart from other spy franchise type films. Uh, And I'm not sure that this necessarily does that, which leads me to the question of what you would end up rating The Gray Man. So for 
the few things that do really work in its favor, I forgive it a little bit more than I would um, if it didn't have the cast that this had um, to pull you in in the first place. And I think that was a, a smart choice. I think they knew casting someone like Ryan Gosling in the lead role was going to catch people's attention, even if they didn't know the film was coming. When they saw the title card on Netflix and saw his face, they would go, oh, that looks like it might actually be something, something big. I need to see that. Um, so I think that worked in their favor. Um, and, you know, like we said, like filming on location, um, there were still a few things that could have been a lot better. So I kind of come down slightly higher than the middle. Um, I give it a three out of five um, hand grenades because I just think that there, there, like we said, could have been some things that really made it unique rather than just feeling so compiled of all these other movies that we know and love. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, and I'm actually, you know, as we were talking about the film, there were things that I enjoyed about it, but in the end, I would say it's only slightly better than average. And for a movie like this and for, a uh, you know, Netflix hoping to be able to create some kind of universe out of this you know gray man universe mm-hmm. uh I, I think your foundation needs to be much stronger than this and i think in in all honesty unfortunately the gray man doesn't really set itself apart from something like the born series which when i think back to like the born identity i mean what an incredible film and a movie that mm-hmm. you know took the genre and just went a completely different direction in it you know because we'd all been used to james bond movies and then born comes along and just completely reinvents the genre in a way that you know people were excited to see to which then makes james bond kind of reinvent itself and so the gray man unfortunately doesn't really reinvent anything it just stays the same as what we've seen in other films. And it doesn't really set itself apart, uh, even with its characters. So I think it just doesn't do itself any favors. And so, yeah, I think three out of five stars, I had been at three and a half, but no, it's, it's only three. Um, and there's the mm-hmm. possibility that if I rewatch this again, it might just be a two and a half. Um, so yeah. I don't know, but it, it was, it was disappointing because with all the star power in this movie, you would expect it to be better so yeah but christy i'm really excited to see what you might want to recommend to everybody this week so i kind of went back and forth on it and um ultimately decided that um because it's been on my mind a lot with us getting toward fall um i wanted to recommend something spooky somewhat um and so i'm going to recommend if you haven't seen it um, the film Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, because it is on Hulu, I believe, um, still, or Amazon Prime, maybe. Um, and it was, it came out in um, 1988. And if you're not familiar with her, she was sort of like the queen of all of the ghouls 
in the world. Um, you know, they had her introduce different horror movies and things like that on like a horror theater night on TV. Um, and then she got her own movie and it's just very irreverent humor. Um, you know, like someone says, hi, my name is Chad. And she's like, well, I am Elvira, but you can call me tonight. Um, you know, so yeah, she's just fun. And, um, if you're, you know, into Halloweenish kind of stuff, I think it's a good time to check it out. Fantastic. Then that, that's fun. Um, and yeah, like we, I can't believe we're already moving towards that time of the year, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of that, um, because and because of that, actually, uh, my wife and I, uh, I am showing her she'd never seen Yellowstone, the show. Mm. And so I've been showing her that and we've been walking through that. We're in season two now and we're making our way through so that she'll be ready when season five premieres here in November. And so I just it's such a great show and I probably already recommended it before. But I mean, it's definitely worth checking out and it's definitely worth even a rewatch, honestly, if you have seen it before, because uh, there's just so much that happens in this show. And there were so many things that I had kind of forgotten uh, that happen in the show, especially in those first couple of seasons, because it's been so long since I've watched them. Uh, because I've just been watching it as it comes out, and I've never gotten a chance to go back and rewatch. So, yeah, totally worth it. And so, I definitely recommend Yellowstone. On, of course, there's 1883 that's out, and then of course they're going to be doing uh, a new series that um, is in the same universe uh, with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren called 1932. I think is is the year that they're going with for that one. So, I mean. It's it's so incredible, the whole thing. So definitely worth checking out. But Christy, uh, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where would they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, sometimes in the Babel Conference. And I do uh, or did a show that is now a finished podcast called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And uh, hoping to possibly do something more with that on like an Instagram live or something. So uh, but where can people find you? Well, uh, you could find me all over the place on social media platforms under the name MattRushing02. So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. Would love to talk to you there. Uh, and, of course, you can also find me here on the network doing a bunch of different shows. Uh, one is called The Orb. I do with Chris Jones. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We also do Warp 5 where we talk about Star Trek Enterprise. And then doing Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We've got... The Artificial Tango, which is about a Star Trek Picard, and Literary Treks, which is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and we actually just hit our 350th episode there, so that was a lot of fun. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me uh, with a couple of shows. One is a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman, and we talked about every single chapter in the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And that's a show called Owl Post. And then last but not least, you'll find me doing aggressive negotiations with the amazing John Mills. And that is a Star Wars podcast. And it is so much fun. So I hope you will check all of those out. But as always, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear.